Man, basketball fans, particularly, I guess, Atlanta Hawks fans, right? Appreciate everybody for join me, joining me for episode 59. This is our um, Hawk Talk uh, segment, part of the show. And um glad that you guys are joining me. You know what this is, unless you've been living under a rock. That would be none other than Tate's Take the Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe anywhere you find your favorite podcast. And remember to follow along per usual on social media, all social media platforms at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. As you know, that that is where basketball lives. Now, I'm tired of people blowing up my phone because I've been getting a lot of folks. Hey, man, Tate, yo, I, I need to see what's going on with these Hawks, dude. I mean, listen, I'm really frustrated. The Mavericks game and so forth, a lot going on. I said, listen, be patient. I promise you, patience is a virtue in 2020-2021 season. I got my dude. Coming on with us, he's going to have all the answers for you guys uh, as it relates to the Atlanta Hawks. So without further ado, let me get ready to bring my dude up, man, because it's been a, a, I've been trying to get this dude to come on for quite some time. And I know we've been trying to work. He's super busy, obviously, covering the team and so forth. So I want to make sure that I uh, do the right thing and make sure that uh, it's not a disservice to him and his time. Uh, so that would be none other than. Chris Kirshner, Atlanta Hawks beat reporter from The Athletic. Remember to give him a follow on Twitter. This dude, you Atlanta Hawks fans, you ain't following him. You stuck in 2020, man. That's not the way to be. At Chris Kirshner, that is at Chris Kirshner uh, on social media. First and foremost, Chris, man, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Man, I'm doing, I'm uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a little frustrated like much of the uh, fan base uh, is for uh, for the Atlanta Hawks, but nonetheless, I could be doing better, but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make this about me and all the things that I got going on. Let's talk about this Atlanta Hawks team, man. And, and let's dive right into that. And I think one of my biggest things is first of all, that this is a team that has lost now four of the last five, probably as simple as I could probably put it. Okay. I want to know what's going on with this team because I feel like the only consistency that we've seen out of this team is that they have been consistently inconsistent. They uh, got off on a nice little streak coming right out the gate, grabbing a lot of people's attention in a year that probably to a lot of fans felt like it was a year uh, later than what they expected. And then, you know, different things happened on and off the court. And then they went on another little run. Now they're not doing so hot. What's happening with the team, man? What's going on? Well, I think they're just dealing with a lot of injuries right now. Um, you know, they lost DeAndre Hunter. He's going to be out for seven to 10 weeks. And Hunter really emerged in the second season with the Hawks. I, I thought for the most part, his rookie season was up and down. And he just absolutely exploded this year. And, and losing him is definitely a blow. And then when you just look at the team as a whole, they spent so much money in free agency. And most of those guys haven't really produced much of anything. And these guys that they went out and got, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn hasn't played a second yet for the Hawks as he's recovering from ankle surgery. But um, the Hawks got these guys to produce and produce at a high level. And we haven't seen that yet. For what we've seen so far, the Hawks are 11 and 13. Uh, the eighth seed right now in the Eastern Conference. But from what we've seen, it's mostly been the young guys who have been carrying the team. Trey Young is playing at an all-star level. John Collins is playing at an all-star level. 
Um, and then you have other guys sprinkled in. Kevin Herter, I think, has played well. Um, mm-hmm. Cam, Cam Reddish, uh, he has struggled pretty severely, in my opinion. So that's really the reason for where the Hawks are at right now. They're 11 and 13. Um, and like you said, the, the one thing that they've been is consistently inconsistent, which is what which is what we've seen for the most part this season. You know what? One of the things that you mentioned, and obviously you're obviously a, a, a ahead of the curve quite a bit. Um, we're talking about some of these injuries. I do want to ask you about um, the injury update in general. First of all, what are you hearing in terms of guys that we can expect to maybe play soon? Maybe some of the guys that uh, will be that will be out uh, as far as the game on tomorrow against San Antonio. Yeah, so for the most part, uh, the injury report for tomorrow is is clean. I mean, you have the regulars who are going to be out. Chris Dunn and Bogdan Bogdanovich and DeAndre Hunter, they're going to be out, and they're going to be out for at least a couple more weeks. And then Rajon Rondo is also out for tomorrow's game against the Spurs with low back pain. But even still, it's like – if Rondo is available, I, I don't know how much of a difference he's going to make at this point of his career. Um, I, I did think that the signing of Rondo was curious, in my opinion, just because of the fact that for several seasons now, Rondo hasn't done much of anything in the regular season. He was obviously great in the postseason for the Lakers last year. Obviously, the Lakers won the championship, and, and he was a key piece. But from what we've seen over the past few years, I don't know what Rondo brings on the court anymore in the regular season, but for the other three guys, um, you know, it's tough that they've had to deal with uh, these injuries, especially uh, Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich is expected to be the starting shooting guard alongside Trey Young in the backcourt. He's only played nine games. And in those nine games, he was mainly coming off the bench. So the one, the game he got hurt, he actually finally got into the starting rotation and replaced Cam Reddish. So when he's back, I, I would expect him to uh, – when he's back and healthy, I should say, and, and not on a minutes restriction because, you yeah. know, as you and I know, they, they do um, minutes restrictions for these guys when they come back, and it's, it's usually a few games before they're off that minutes restriction. But when he is fully healthy and back, I, I would uh, believe that he's going to be back in the starting rotation. One of the things that you uh, mentioned being one of them, being Rajon Rondo, being one of the players, I've always been the person and the people who have listened to this, me on this platform consistently have heard me say, I was always curious, had an asterisk with acquiring Rajon Rondo in the sense of which Rondo are we going to get? Are we going to get the Lakers and Celtics Rondo or are we going to get the Pelicans and Kings Rondo? Uh, and, and I've got a good feeling as to what answer, you know, that, that there would be to that question. But yet I want to give the benefit of the doubt and let it play out. Now, another player sticking right here within the injury update is what kind of uh, effect do you think that DeAndre Hunter has had on this team and even not having him? right now on this team because coming into the season, I kind of felt like between he and Reddish and Herder that there wasn't like very much separation between those guys. Well, obviously that looks a bit different now with the season cranking up and from what we've seen over the course of uh, what 24 odd games or something right, right within that range. uh, The effect that this team has felt from him not being around uh, how do you think that uh, that 
it looks so much different and how much are injuries really to blame with what we're seeing from the Hawks right now? Well, I, I think the injuries that they've sustained are a big reason why they are 11 and 13. I think if they were healthy for the most part, they would be much better. Um, I, I think it's a testament to the growth that the young players have shown so far this season that they actually are 11 and 13 because what we saw last year with pretty much the guys who were producing for the Hawks this year, they won 20 games last year. They were 20 and 47, had the fourth worst record this year. They're in the playoff mix because you know they've collectively gotten better. Um, so I, I think when you look at Hunter specifically, I look at a game like last night against Dallas, uh, last night against Dallas, in the, especially in the fourth quarter, it was mostly the perimeter guys who were torching the Hawks, Jalen Brunson, Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, you know, Luca was was Luca. Luca was Luca was good. Um, but if you have someone like DeAndre Hunter out there, you have another trusted defender who could mm -hmm. stop one of these perimeter players. Last night, you don't have that. You have Danilo Gallinari. Gallinari hasn't been a good defender for his entire career. Um, he, he can't stop anybody at this point of his uh, at this point of his career. You have Trey Young. Trey Young is not a good defender, um, and he was getting torched def defensively uh, last night by Jalen Brunson. So when you have someone like Hunter on the floor, it kind of eases the pressure off of some of the other guys who are out there because you have someone who can lock down a, a Luca or, or Brunson or Hardaway. Um, Hardaway last night was, was hot in the fourth quarter. So I, I think that loss in particular is going to be the one that is felt the hardest over these next several weeks. And again, he's going to miss at least seven to 10 weeks. That's a long time. Um, so when he's going to be out, you have to have guys like Reddish, Herter, Gallinari, Tony Snell, we've seen a little bit. Those guys are going to have to pick up the, the slack. And, and from what we've seen so far, there's a big difference in the gap between talent as uh, compared to Hunter and the guys that I just mentioned. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how that's going to turn out for the Hawks because I, I really do think it is a significant blow to have Hunter with the way he was playing be out for several weeks now. If we assume, and I know that this is really a hard call to make and, and maybe answer uh, a question to answer rather, but if we are talking about the Hawks having a full bill of health or for the most part, because I'm not ever sure if a team ever has like a completely full bill of health throughout the duration of a season, how close to being the team that maybe the national media uh, and Hawks nation uh, have expected to see how, how close are we to seeing that team uh, formulate uh, in the event that we're not talking about injury issues? I think if the Hawks were fully healthy, and like you said, it's hard to have a team that's fully healthy healthy, and, and not have someone on the injury report in, in, in some way. Um, but if they've been mostly healthy this season, I, I think with the way that they played, again, they, they were the sixth seed just a few games ago. Um, you know, like you mentioned at the top, they've, they've lost a couple here um in a row and outside of the toronto game i think it's four or five you said i think that's four i think it's four or five mm -hmm. um but 
so for for them uh you know if they've been mostly healthy i, I think that there's not a doubt in my mind that they would be one of the top four teams in the East right now, just because they have the depth, they have the talent now on the roster. And if those guys were playing at the levels we've seen them play over these past few years, guys like Bogdanovich, Gallinari, um, you know, if Rondo was even just a little bit better, I, I think that there's no doubt that um, the Hawks would have been one of the top uh, teams in the East. The national media would have been, you know, taking note of that, but, um. As it as it stands now, um, you know they're going to be a team that is going to be struggling at the bottom of the Eastern Conference in, as far as playoff seedings go. Uh, this year is different with the, uh, the playing tournament. They're they're carrying that over from last year when mm-hmm. um, teams were going to Orlando to play in the bubble. So I think for the Hawks, you know, coming into the season, I still thought that. They just didn't have the experience overall to compete at a high level. But I've been impressed with the way they've played in spite of these injuries. As of now, like I, I still think that the Hawks have enough talent to be a playoff team. It's just the fact that I, I think when the end of the season rolls around, I think that they're going to be in that playing tournament and have to win their way into actually making it into – the actual playoffs. The Mavericks clipped the Hawks' wings in the Big D. I know that sounds kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> 118 to 117, Trey Young, 25 points, 15 assists, seven rebounds. Luca, who I'm so tired of this whole comparison thing, but I get it. You're going to always be tied together because of the uh, because of the draft uh, situation. Luca, 28 points, another triple-double, 10 rebounds and 10 assists. Go figure. I guess shocker, right? Um, I want to get ready to play a clip here for you, and, and it obviously relates in, uh, because you had the opportunity to, uh, as I'm trying to figure out, okay, here we go, share screen. Uh, you had the opportunity in the post-game press conference yesterday to talk to Trey, uh, and so I definitely want to uh, what, see what exactly what kind of responses and so forth that you had a chance to get from him, but really quickly, I just want to share the screen with the folks so that they can have an opportunity to see exactly what we're about to uh, talk about right now in regards to the uh, last play from last night. So as I'm doing this now, boom, boom. I'm not sure if you can see this over there on your side. Yep. All right, perfect. Let's go ahead and roll it. All right, let's stop sharing the screen there for a second, because one thing I promise you that I won't do is I won't repeat the words that I feel like came out of Trey Young's mouth last night. (laughs) I don't want to do that, but you did have the opportunity, uh, as I said in the post-game press conference, to ask him about the officiating, exactly what took place on that last call. What information did you receive from Trey? Well, I mean, he, he clearly felt that a foul had committed, uh, had been committed when Willie Cauley Stein uh, ran him over. Um, he said that, you know, afterwards when he fell to the ground, 
Um, he made eye contact with the ref. The ref didn't do anything. The play continued. And, you know, when Trey falls to the ground, it kind of blows up the play that the Hawks had designed for the end of game situation. So Trey said afterwards that the play is designed for him to uh, draw a bit of contact, obviously not get run over, but draw a little bit of contact, flip out toward the top of the key, catch the ball, and make a play from that point. So after he gets erased from the play effectively, um, Kevin Herter, who's the inbounds passer, he has one fewer decision when it comes to who should he pass the ball to. Mm-hmm. At first, um, you know, Kevin also spoke with the media last night, and he said that his first option is, you know, trying to get uh, John Collins the ball at the rim. From my perspective, I'm not in the building. I'm not traveling with the team this year. Um, but from on TV, it looked like John had a little bit of space, and, and John actually said afterwards that he felt he was open. Um, it is a tough play, though. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, again, these guys are NBA players, so maybe it's it's not as hard of a play as I'm thinking. But, um, you know, if Herder would have threw it up to John, John might have had a good look at it and, and the Hawks could have won the game that way. But um, I know a lot of focus was on this play last night and a lot of Hawks fans were mad and upset over the, the non-foul call. My opinion, the Hawks should have, shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. They had a 13-point lead with five minutes left in the third quarter. They had a nine-point lead at the start of the fourth quarter. Um, they had played well really all game up until the fourth quarter. I thought they were in control for the most part. I, I, I really thought that, especially midway through that third quarter, I thought the game was going to be wrapped up um, just because of the way Collins was playing. Collins was absolutely unstoppable last night. I felt, mm-hmm. I feel like if they would have just fed Collins last night, he, he could have got over 40 points pretty easily just because there was nobody – Dallas doesn't have the personnel really to match up with him well. Um, so I think with, with the way they were playing, I, I do feel that they should have won easily. But as we saw, they collapsed and a lot of the focus came on that final play. Yes, it's one play. Yes, it, mm-hmm. you know, it could have gone either way. Um, I think what we've seen over, over several years now watching the NBA is refs are going to be very, very hesitant in those final few seconds whether it's right or wrong to call a foul on a play like that mm-hmm. when the the team inbounding the ball is down one if they call the foul trey gets to the free throw line with the chance to tie the game and then they do the play all, all over again I, I just feel like it's so difficult to rely on on the refs to call a foul in that situation it's the same thing with like the nfl when teams throw hail marys you could probably call pass interference on every single <laughs> Hail Mary play. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, and the refs don't call it. It's the same situation in, at, at the end of the games in the NBA. It's just a different officiated game, whether it's right or wrong. Um, but in my opinion, I, I'm of the opinion that the call could have gone either way. I wouldn't have you know, been up, up in arms with any outcome that the refs decided. And it's also my opinion that they shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. They should have won that game pretty handedly. 
I'm not sure that I could have said it much better than you did. Uh, in the locker room right now, Chris Kirshner, uh, Atlanta Hawks beat reporter from The Athletic and the man with all the hair that I'm very jealous and envious of. Find him on Twitter at Chris Kirshner. That is at Chris Kirshner, C-H-R-I-S-K-I-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. -S -S I'm a pretty good speller, dude, but I tell you what. I, I had to look that one up because that's just one of those last names. And I'm like, does this one come before the, yeah. So I had to do that type of deal. Let's look forward, go move, move forward rather uh, towards what's coming up for this team tomorrow night. If you're hearing this a little late, then it might be tonight. Uh, if you're hearing this on tomorrow, but uh, with today being uh, Thursday, the 11th uh, Friday night against San Antonio, currently 14, 11 overall sixth in the West. Follow that up in a back-to-back -back on Saturday versus the Pacers at home, who's 12 and 13 and tied for fifth in the East, and then closing out uh, the third of three games uh, on Monday on the road at the Knicks, who's 11 and 15 overall and are ninth in the East, which ironically enough, I guess they're getting ready for, I guess the Hawks will be the first game of three of a, um, the Knicks would be, the Knicks would be a first game of three preparing for a three-game West Coast road trip. That Knicks uh, matchup will be followed up by the Celtics um, uh, twice, I guess, in a back-to-back -back situation. So if it's you, what exactly do you feel like needs to uh, be turned around before they get to this point? I mean, they're going off, of a, running off of a lot of emotion, maybe some frustration in there. Some guys seem to be on board, maybe more than other guys. Some guys, just, some guys just optically appear to look more checked into the game than other guys. Uh, and that's just more of my take more so than anything. What do you say that they, that these guys really need to put together that we should look forward to more than anything, starting more so, uh, with the game on tomorrow night against the Spurs? I mean, I think it's what we've been talking about, especially at the, at the start is consistency. Um, uh, there are some nights where the Hawks are shooting over 40% from three. And then there are nights where they're shooting under 20% from three and it's, you know, not a, a pretty product to watch on the floor. I think if they end up shooting well, they can beat these teams. The Spurs aren't, you know, a, a team that's known for, for shooting. So if the Hawks could you know, put up some threes Friday night, um, you know, I think they can, can win. I, I, I do think that San Antonio is one of those teams, as we've seen now for over two decades, that Popovich has been the coach they're a tough team no matter who's on their roster, no matter mm -hmm. what style of play that they have. They're they're just a team that, that's well-coached, well-oiled machine. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan's not a three-point shooter, and, and where the league's at right now, um, you know, some people might call him a dinosaur, but he's been playing so well this season for, mm -hmm. for San Antonio. Um, but for the Hawks specifically, I, I just think that if, if they can shoot well, um, and, and get some sort of production from guys like Reddish, who, again, has struggled. If Reddish can get going, if guys like Kevin Herter continue to shoot well, he's he shot over 50% from three in the past five games now. He, I mean, he hasn't really been talked about much at all. I think he's playing at a really, really high level and, and someone who's been a little overlooked, in my opinion, just with all the additions that the Hawks obviously brought in. But you know, if they if they can shoot well, 
And if they can defend in the fourth quarter and lock in. So I, I wrote a story last night after the game because it's been a trend that I've noticed is that in the fourth quarter, the Hawks are just like a different team. They're, they're just like they're not a good team in the fourth quarter. And that, that's the sign of, of a young, inexperienced squad. A, squad, a, a team that can't perform in the fourth quarter just shows inexperience. They don't know how to close out games and, and win games. Again, last night is a perfect example of that. A good team wins, no doubt. They're up nine. They ha- they have momentum. They've been playing very well throughout, and then they look like you know a team that we do do not recognize from sure. quarters one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. So I think if they can turn it around, especially in these next few games, and th- these are some important games coming up um, with with the back to back on on Friday and Saturday, especially that Pacers game, because I think that come the end of the season, the Pacers are going to be one of probably three teams that the Hawks are com- competing for to potentially not be in the playing tournament and, and be a top six seed if they can get there. I think this Pacers game is, is really important. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's on the second night of a back-to-back teams just don't exactly. have the gas. Yeah. Teams just don't have the gas usually on, on a second night of a back-to-back. Um, but I do think that for the Hawks moving forward, they just have to just lock in in the fourth quarter and, and mm. close games out. If they can do that, I think they're going to be fine moving forward. What's the deal with Cam Reddish, man? I mean, look, I, I'm i trying to put my finger on it. I know I'm not the only person. Uh, it just appears to be more of a mental thing. I'm not sure exactly, obviously, mm-hmm. or, or I'd have all the answers and I wouldn't be bringing Chris Kirshner on. Um, but it just appears to be mental. I don't know if it's a confidence thing per se. You get some games that it's like, wow, he looks great. And then there's some games where it's like, are they playing five on four out there? I mean, there was the first half of the season that kind of had you feeling the latter way that I just explained. And then, you know, there was the second half of the season that was like, this is kind of what we've been looking forward to. And then this year has kind of been like, depending on whichever way the wind blows, what day is it this week? You know, it's apples and oranges. It's night and day. What's the best way for you to be able to explain what's happening with Cam Reddish right now and just his his inconsistencies? I think Cam is one of those guys that if he starts a game all of two, he misses his first two shots, mm-hmm. it just changes the trajectory of that game. I mean, he's just one of those guys like you can see especially like in person when he's missing a shot and the camera's not on him. Like you can see when he's walking down with his head head down and, and just like not fully engaged, he makes his first two shots and it's just a totally different story for, for the game, especially on offense. So I, I do think it's a little bit of a confidence thing. You know, you talk to everybody in the organization and, and they say like, Cam has all the confidence in the world. I mean, I, I remember talking to him, last year at the start of his rookie season and you know I, he struggled pretty severely um and he told me straight up like i'm still a bucket so like the confidence is, is there it's just a matter of like can he actually put that into being a good offensive player and so far he's not there yet i think with him he is 21 years old mm-hmm. he's only a few years out of high school mm-hmm. I mean, it's way too early to like write him off or anything like Speculate. that. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I do think that, especially like, like you mentioned, at, in that um, 
second half last season, we saw the flashes. Like there, there, we saw the potential that he has offensively. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of like, can, can he actually put it together for three, four, five, ten games in a row? And so far, he hasn't been able to do that. The the one thing about it is that uh, for him, he's not going to have the offensive opportunities that Trey has that John has when Bogdanovich is back, he's not going to have the same opportunities to get shots up. So that's what I'm talking about. Like if he can make his first two shots and, and get in the zone and, and be confident, he's a good player. But if he, if he misses those first couple shots, it, it just seems like it derails the rest of the night. And he tries to force things. He feels like when he gets the ball, he has to make a play when he's just not that player. Like, the Hawks don't need him to take over games. That's not mm-hmm. why they drafted him. Mm-hmm. They drafted him to play good defense, with, which I think he's done, and make spot-up shots. They, they didn't draft him to attack the rim and, and go crazy and spin in the lane and, and try to make circus plays, which is what we've seen over, over mm-hmm. two years now. They, like, mm-hmm. they don't need that. So I think if, if he can lock in and just slow down, just let the game come to him, be you know patient, let you know take advantage of the shots that you get instead of trying to force things i think he's going to be much better off but you know sometimes it it just takes time for these young guys to settle in and and be confident with with that because a lot of times you know the young players want to get get their own and and, you know Mm -hmm. try and make plays and and make it a point to say hey like this is why you guys drafted me with a top 10 pick but you know i I think lloyd lloyd has said several times over the past few weeks is that, you know, they're trying to rein him in and, and just let him be calmer, let the game come to him. And I, I think he's going to be better off. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think one of the things I heard Lloyd say was mention something about being fully engaged, uh, that being one of them. And then another piece is I just, and of course, Lloyd didn't say this, I guess this is just Deshaun Tate talking, but I feel like that confidence level sometimes and or the body language at times, like you were talking about with the head down and so forth, um, you know, it's it's at a, a level zero, if I'm just being mm-hmm. honest. Uh, uh, and um, but when you get the fully engaged defensive intensity, Cam Reddish and confident guy, I mean, he looks like a totally different player uh, to your point. Uh, and so I definitely agree with you and couldn't agree with you very much more than that. Now, if we just have 120 more seconds with you, because I know you're really busy and you got things going on, I would like to bring you into our uh, a special part of our Hawk Talk segment, and it's called Quick Release. So it is essentially maybe not completely rapid fire, but along those lines, where I'll just ask you a few questions and they're pretty much brief or yes or no answers or whatever, what have you. Feel free to elaborate if you will. You good with that? I'm good. All right, sounds good. Let's start off with this part. Excuse me. This has been something that has been, you know, obviously ongoing over the course of the last few days. Mark Cuban has been a part of it, so forth. Uh, And I'm just kind of curious. When it comes to this controversy within the national anthem, what side is Chris Kirshner on? There's no reason to play the anthem before sporting events. There, there's no need. It's unnecessary. You know, I, I think the uh, the side that is for it probably feels that um, you know you should be 
respecting the military and, and everyone else that you know makes this country great but um there's no reason to play the anthem like if you're if you have a nine to five job you know they're not playing the national anthem before the start of the workday. so why are we doing a sporting event so i i just don't feel the the need to play it before you know uh game 47 hawks magic like what is the point there so i i don't think it's a, a controversial stance that mark cuban did for the mavericks um and not playing the anthem obviously the nba decided that you know they wanted every single team to to play it so that's what cuban is, you know he, he didn't have a choice at, at that point because the nba stepped in and said you have to play it now you had the opportunity as i bring this up chris you had the opportunity i'm so jealous of you because i haven't done it yet wait till i talk to rob parker because he owes me some wings you had the opportunity. I'm so envious of you, dude. You had the chance to go. You, you went to Magic, am I correct? I did go to Magic. You, you got some of the lemon pepper, some of the Lou Will lemon peppers. I definitely mm -hmm. want to, I, I need to know exactly what that experience was like in terms of the taste of the wings itself. Um, but the All-Star All -Star game and All-Star weekend is coming here on the 7th, as you can see at the bottom on the ticker uh, in Atlanta um in a little less than a month from now do you think that that's a considering everything that's going on right now as far as covid do you think that that's a good or a bad idea but first tell me about those lemon pepper wings yeah i mean there's some of the best wings that i've had i've been, I've been here in Atlanta for seven years now um they're definitely up there as far as some of the best ones that i've had um i i think in regards to the all-star game I think it's absolutely pointless to have an all-star game this season. Um, I, I think Carl Anthony Towns said it best, you know, last night, you know, he just had, uh, he just recovered from COVID. He's had several of his family members die from COVID already, including his mom. Um, just watching some of Towns' press conferences um, this season, they're heartbreaking. And it's kind of a slap in the face that the NBA decides that they are going to have an all-star game. I mean, you and I both know it's, it's at the end of the day, it's about money. Mm -hmm. It's all about money. Mm -hmm. The, the all-star game is uh, a big draw for um, cable. It's a big draw for sponsorships. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money that's going to be poured into the league if they so, it, so, it sounds like the it sounds like the ncaa tournament almost <laughs> essentially yeah you're right because all of it all of it is about money at the end of the day they can say that they care uh, about player health and all that but you're gonna have what how many people make it 15 i think make the make the all-star team mm -hmm. each conference of so 30 players mm -hmm. these guys can't even hug after the games and you're right. gonna intertwine guy trey young and bradley beal who's in washington they're going to be on the same court together i i just don't understand like how that's going to work and then once they're finished then they have to probably quarantine for a couple of days i would assume mm -hmm. and go about their business it just doesn't make any sense it's just the the league is saying that you know player health and player safety is is so important yet they're going to bring players from around the country to come in and and be on the court at the same time quarantine 
know, be without their families during a stretch that they probably could be with them. Um, and they're not going to be able to, cause they're likely not going to be able to bring them to Atlanta. So it, it's just, I don't know. It, it's, it, it's such a, it's a, in my opinion, it's a bad look for the NBA to have the all-star game because they said at the beginning that they were just going to name the teams and not have a game. And they changed their mind because obviously money is the root of all evil. Yeah. I feel like if there was going to be an all-star game, maybe Salt Lake City or somewhere else, Atlanta, probably not the place to be wanting to do it in, in the event of a pandemic oh. with everything. Yeah, I mean, the, you expected for these guys to like really not go out in Atlanta being all about nightlife and entertainment mm-hmm. and gentlemen's clubs and so forth. I hope they got plenty of those uh, lemon pepper wings ready for that particular weekend because they're going to, those cooks in the back are going to be busy. That's for sure. Uh, real quick. Let me ask you this. Speaking of those wings, cause you see, I'm all about those wings. Um, you a flats or a drums guy. I'm a flats guy. I, I've hey. been a flats guy. But the thing is, is like, I don't discriminate. I, okay. I will eat, I will eat drums. I will eat flats. I okay. will eat, boneless i will yeah. eat tenders okay any, <laughs> any kind of chicken that you place in front of me i'm going to eat uh ranch or blue cheese so i'm, I'm neither honestly i really? i don't yeah I, I don't uh dip my wings in in ranch or blue cheese i i usually i'm, I'm a lemon pepper guy just straight up okay. um lemon, lemon pepper with some heat um that that's what i usually get but i'm I'm not a rancher blue cheese guy never have been you more drum i'm drums are you more uh dry rub or wet wings or it doesn't matter either it doesn't matter um okay. i i definitely if there, if there's a good dry rub especially lemon pepper um uh-huh. i i would prefer that over wet but sometimes like the the lemon pepper is just not enough and you need some sort of um wetness to it so it just depends on, on the the wing itself man i feel like we might be related man because you know what i like my flats i like them a little uh, on the crispier side my dry yeah. rub lemon pepper like i somebody man i'm excited i can't wait to go i can't wait till this pandemic is over with and rob parker can come to town and <clears throat> make up on his bet but uh <laughs> let me get to let me get and i just got a couple more of them for you here and i'm not sure if you heard this chris so i'm not trying to be the person throwing news out there i just heard of it of yesterday by some pretty credible people obviously nothing's a done deal but i just want to see if you've heard of this quite yet uh i don't know how much interest there was or has been maybe you can speak on it uh but i just kind of want to get your idea on whether you would entertain something like this john collins to the dallas mavericks me personally i wouldn't be trying to do those guys any favors any more favors rather yeah i mean for um Collins and the Mavs. So Collins is going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the season. He's free to sign an offer sheet with whatever team um, he wants to. Dallas is going to be one of those teams that's likely going to be aggressive in free agency, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on if they renounce the rights to Tim Hardaway Jr. and Josh Richardson. Both those guys are going to be free agents. If they renounce both of their rights to those guys, Dallas will have over $30 million in cap space. And Dallas was gearing up this summer to potentially make an offer at Giannis. Giannis ends up re-signing with Milwaukee. So, you know, Giannis is not a free agent anymore. So Dallas is going to have money to spend. And after 
the extensions that went through before the start of the season, some of the guys that a lot of these teams were you know, potentially wanting to covet in free agency are just no longer free agents. And, and John is now one of the best free agents. And John makes a ton of sense for what Dallas needs in the front court. It would not surprise me at all if Dallas ended up offering significant money to John in free agency. Mm-hmm. John ends up signing with uh, signing an offer sheet with Dallas. And then it's up to the Hawks if they want to match it or not. With the way John has played this season, I would strongly, if, if I was Travis Schlank, the journal manager, it's, it's hard losing someone with his ability. He plays so well with Trey. The, 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 the tandem you could have building for the future with John and Trey is, is tremendous. So mm-hmm. I, I do feel like, um, you know, when we're talking in, in several months and free agency rolls around, I, I think that the Hawks uh, definitely do need to try to, and keep John long-term just because of, you know, he, he's growing into being one of the best young power forwards in the game. Just three more, three more questions for you. I promise them we're going to get you out of here. One of them being, we talked about probably about what six recent additions to this team who stood out to you kind of like a sore thumb as if not the most valuable asset, but a very good valuable asset that you think could be on this team long-term or or even if not just somebody that you've seen uh, of the new additions that has stood out to you with some of their recent play. I mean, not, none of the, the free agents, honestly. I, I think if we're talking about new additions, I mean, he's technically not a new addition because he was on the team in February, but he didn't Capella. play. But Clint, yeah, Clint Capella has played well, uh, especially on, on, on defense. He's been such a big revelation for the Hawks, especially what they were dealing with last year at the center position with Damian Jones, Bruno Fernando, Alex Len, Dwayne Dedman. Uh, Capella has just been so good on that end of the floor, blocking shots, getting rebounds, anchoring the guys, being the the voice in the in the middle of of uh, the defense on that side of the floor. Um, so if I if I were to say, you know, which new addition's done the best? I mean, technically he's not a new addition, but you know, this is the first year he's played with them. So I, I would go with Capella. Yeah, that one would be uh, <laughs> that one was pretty much an easy answer, if you will. Um, second to last question. If I give you I like to call it chalkboard now. I used to call it if I gave you a dry erase marker and a dry erase board. But I feel, you know, but I'm old. So I'm going to still stick with the chalkboard. I'm, I'm sure the millennials have no idea what I'm talking about. If I gave you a a, a piece of chalk and a chalkboard uh, and told you to give what you believe is uh because i know how close you are to this so your message to hawks fans right now uh i can only imagine how frustrated they are on today the 11th of february 2021 what would you write down on that chalkboard to those hawks fans uh i would say be patient and that the future i think is bright i mean they have several young pieces who we've seen grow Trey's continuing to grow. John's continuing to grow. DeAndre's continuing to grow. Kevin's continuing to grow. Cam, you know, he has the potential to, you know, be one of those guys one day who's really good. Mm -hmm. They have, um, you know, they have the contracts that if they wanted to make a a big splashy trade, they can do so. They have all their draft picks moving forward. So I I do think that the Hawks are just well positioned for future success, just with the way the roster is currently constructed. Um, So I would just say be patient. Yes, it's going to, you know, there's always growing pains with these young teams. The, mm-hmm. the Hawks are no different. 
Mm-hmm. The Hawks are no different than these teams that we've seen go through a rebuild and slowly build up that process to get back to relevancy and making the playoffs. So that would be my method is be patient. I, I do think that the Hawks are well positioned for future success. I've seen you mention once or twice that you're not a Hawks fan. Who is Chris Kirshner a, a fan of? Is there a team uh, that you grew up a fan of? Are you a diehard fan of a team? Let's go Let's go NBA and college basketball, since you know I love my college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in New York City, so I grew up a Knicks fan. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not a Knicks fan anymore, um, just because of the fact that I, I do cover the NBA, and it's mm-hmm. my job to be unbiased. Um, you know, I know sometimes fans don't understand that a reporter's job is to provide unbiased coverage. I'm not a Hawks fan. I don't care if they win. I don't care if they lose. It would be great to cover a team that does well and makes the playoffs and, you know, is relevant nationally because that helps me out professionally. Sure. Um, I, I would much rather cover a team that went 82 and 0 rather than <laughs> 0 and 82. It just, you know, that's just business sense. So, um, you know, I, I would just say that, you know, I, I grew up a Knicks fan. I'm not really a Knicks fan. I'm not a Knicks fan anymore. Um, I just like the NBA in general. I think it's a fun league, especially to cover from a reporter's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for college, I mean, I went to the University of Florida. My degree is right, right back there. Congratulations. Um, so, thank you. So I'm, I'm definitely a, a Gators fan. Love my Gators. Will always support my Gators until the day I die. Okay, hopefully we'll get a chance to see uh, those Gators in the NCAA tournament in the event that there's going to be an NCAA tournament. (laughs) Chris Kirchner, Atlanta Hawks beat reporter from The Athletic. Man, listen, dude is coming. He's got it all right here. It's all between the ears. Uh, He's in in all the happenings that's going on here in Atlanta in terms of the Hawks. And I'm really, really appreciative for you taking out the time. I know we've been trying to get this thing going for quite some time, but even being overly patient and uh, and spending a little bit of extra time with me during our quick release segment. So remember to give him a follow on Twitter at Chris Kirshner. That is I-R-S-C-H-N-E-R, K-I-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. Uh, and I do appreciate you for coming on, man. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt. Chris Kirshner, everybody. Uh, Appreciate him for gracing us with his presence and, and coming on and joining us. And I hope that you guys got the answers that you were looking for, all the questions. So hopefully you guys can stop blowing my phone up. Remember to subscribe uh, anywhere that you find your favorite podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Red Circle, Spotify, Stitcher, the whole nine. Also follow along on social media at Tate's Take Hoops. That is T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S hashtag where basketball lives. Hey, we've got tomorrow. Um, don't forget, uh, let's go uh, 7.30 P, that is Eastern Standard Time. My dude, Clark Kellogg, going to be with us talking some Big Ten, Ohio State, college basketball, all across the board, CBS uh, uh, analysts as well. Uh, so I appreciate everybody for checking us out. Remember that you can also uh, leave a review. Uh, also leave up to a five-star rating, if you will, uh, on the Tate's Take podcast. Just hover over that little magnifying glass in the search box. That's where you'll find Tate's Take. And um, be sure to share it along with family, with friends, with enemies, with your mamas, with your baby mamas, whoever and whatever, anywhere and anything in between. Make sure that you do that. Appreciate everybody for joining us. I'll see you guys sometime within the next 24 hours in a minute.